you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show live on a Monday, Thanksgiving week. Here we are live and direct on YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV on your favorite progressive talk radio station in podcast format. And uh, we're everywhere. Leftisright.com. Leftisright.com. There's a great new app, uh, Political Voices, where you can watch the show. Uh, on your app and uh, on-demand versions of the program that we put out there just for you. And we thank you very, very much uh, for tuning in. Uh, let's just go through a couple of quick, uh, couple of quick things. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at BP show at BP show. That is where you can interact with the program. I love to get your comments on Twitter, uh, uh, either at, through the show's uh, Twitter feed at BP show or my Twitter feed at Peter Ogburn, which you can also use. Uh, make sure you, you chime in. This is the way that we get comments from you all throughout the, the day. It's also, since it's your favorite holiday ever, usually we do the turkey hotline. I was about to say. I was just about to say. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to take it. No, 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 no. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but but you're right. Thanksgiving is the greatest holiday. Do we agree on this? I can't remember if we agree on this. I know Jamie thought. It's definitely my top one, but it's tied, I think. I really do love Christmas, not even necessarily for the religious or the present aspect, but it's like the holiday when my entire family gets together. That's, I think that's fair. See, Thanksgiving is that for me. Right. Uh, because I think that Christmas uh, is, it's just, you're inundated with Christmas. You're clubbed over the head with Christmas for, I mean, my neighbor. <laughs> okay. My neighbor, the Christmas tree is up. Already? Yeah. Which that should be a crime. First of it's all, th- it's, first of all, if you put it up before Thanksgiving, you're going to hell. All right? We just we need to be clear. Jesus if you put your, said. If you put your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, you're going to hell. But also, Thanksgiving is so early this year. 
You don't need a you don't need you don't more need than a, a month of Christmas. No, yeah, I agree. I love the tradition of Christmas. My mom always went above and beyond to make it really special. We always have like this delicious Christmas morning breakfast with all of my brothers. It's lovely. But I feel like, yeah, the mall this year, Forget they it. already had Christmas decorations up before no. Halloween. No, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. And that is part of the reason that I I don't hate Christmas, but Christmas is not it's probably number five for me. Oh, we do have a large disagreement here. I remember you think that 4th of July is higher than Christmas. I love 4th of July. For me, Fourth, of, Fourth of July is great. Not because we live in a great country or anything, but because 4th of July is great. You get to go to the beach. You get to cook out. You get to... I guess to me, 4th of July is great, I guess, on some level because it's just like emblematic of summer, but... To me, every 4th of July celebration that I go to, except for the fireworks, is just like any other summer day. Like, those are things you just do in the summer. You need a better. You need to find better parties for 4th of July. You need to find better parties for but here. I guess, but, but like, what are you doing? You're going to the beach, you're drinking, you're cooking out. I do all of those things, like... I, any day of the summer? Not any. Like, of course, we don't live right next to the beach. We can't do that any Well, that's day my point. Summer. I mean, you, like, that, yeah, the 4th like, of like, July, it makes you do that. And you could do it on, like, a Wednesday because it's 4th yeah, of July. Yeah, nice. that's nice. That's, what, that's my point. It's nice. But 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 the undisputed king of holidays is Thanksgiving, and I will accept no other answer on that. That being said, I have cooked Thanksgiving dinner mostly by myself for the last 25 years or so. I know how to knock out a Thanksgiving dinner. So if you have any questions... The Thanksgiving hotline is open. You can find us on Twitter at BP Show or on my personal Twitter feed at Peter Ogburn. I will answer all of your burning Thanksgiving questions either on Twitter or on air. So go ahead and hit us with those. We'll get into those uh, a little bit later on in the program. Lots of important guests, lots of big news over the weekend. We're going to tell you all about it. Hang on. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. We love having your input on the program where you can find us on Twitter at BP Show or at Peter Ogburn. As I was just mentioning, the Thanksgiving hotline is open. If you have any questions or concerns about how to cook the perfect Thanksgiving meal, uh, you can find us there because I'm here to help. I'm a helper. Oh, boy. What a weekend of news. Uh, Donald Trump went to California. Um, I can't wait to play you some of the audio from that. Uh, Donald Trump also sat down with Christopher Wallace uh, from Fox News to talk about uh, a number of different things. He once again showed how much he loves our military by uh, beating up on the uh, uh, Admiral Admiral, uh, McRaven, the man who orchestrated the hit on bin Laden. Um, and Donald Trump basically just dismissed him as a Hillary Clinton supporter, which is pretty funny. Um, also, we had a series, a trio of heartbreaking concessions over the weekend. We'll talk about all of that. Jim Acosta now has his press pass back. A judge ruled in his favor after the program 
on Friday. We did the show on Friday, and then afterwards it turned out the judge said, yes, Jim Acosta gets his hard pass back. That's not the end of the story, by the way. This is not going to be the end of it. Also, I have to bring it here at home. Uh, you know, I don't like talking about sports too much here on the program, but there's a very interesting thing that happened yesterday here uh, with the Washington, D.C. football team. They got a new quarterback this season. His name is Alex Smith. He's done a fairly good job. Uh, the team is uh, doing fairly well, considering how terrible they've done in recent seasons. Uh they got rid of their previous quarterback, who is also having a pretty decent season with the Minnesota Vikings. But here's the thing. Yesterday, you may have seen the video because it was everywhere yesterday. He suffered a gruesome leg injury in the game yesterday. An awful leg injury. Uh, he His leg is broken in two different places. He had to get carted off the field. Uh, he's done for the season, at least. Uh, it's very similar to... Uh, what anybody who has any uh, relation to football whatsoever knows about one of the grisliest injuries of all time was Joe Theismann, uh, quarterback for the uh, Washington football team many, many years ago, uh, who had his leg just destroyed by Lawrence Taylor. right? And he never played the same again. So all that being said, the Washington football team needs themselves a quarterback. Now, what are they going to do about it? They have a backup quarterback, a guy by the name of Colt McCoy. Uh, but here is what they're looking at. They are bringing in a group of quarterbacks to work out today, including E.J. Manuel, who's terrible, T.J. Yates, who's terrible, and Mark Sanchez. Now, any New York Jet fan knows that Mark Sanchez is horrible, horrible quarterback. He's retired. I mean, he's not playing football right now. They're bringing him out of retirement to come and interview as a quarterback. Notice who's not on that list. Huh. Hmm. Who could that be? Which NFL quarterback who took his team to two conference championships and a Super Bowl is not on that list? Huh. Hmm. Who could that be? Colin Kaepernick, not on the list. They're talking about bringing out this is, again, this is what happened, you know, earlier uh, when they they brought Jay Cutler out of retirement to go play with a team. They're bringing mediocre at best, mediocre at best, white guys back to come and play football rather than get Colin Kaepernick. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. It's not amazing to me. It's, it's obvious It's less amazing when you think about the owner of the team. Well, here's the thing. He's terrible. Dan Snyder is one of the worst owners of professional sports. But all of the NFL owners are terrible. I mean, I love to beat up on Dan Snyder. It's great that we – it's great to have him to beat up on. But there are no other NFL owners who are much better, frankly. But this, again – Colin Kaepernick not even getting a shot here. It, it would be a great – by the way, of course, of course Colin Kaepernick is not going to come play for a team that calls itself, excuse me, the Redskins. Okay, but I was going the to The racist Redskins. Yeah, it's – the name is disgusting. Dan Snyder is disgusting for not even entertaining the idea of changing the name. But – one thing that I am surprised about is that it seems like he should consider um, 
Colin as the next quarterback because he is a marketing machine yeah, now. Yeah, and that is. is all that Dan Snyder cares about. Yeah, you would think so, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I saw these very earnest tweets, and God bless them for doing them, uh, of just saying, like, oh, this is his chance. This is his chance. He's going to finally get a shot. They're going to give him a shot. No, they're not. No, they're not. This is not going to happen. And that doesn't make me happy. I don't think he will ever play professional football again. In I don't States. either. I don't either. Um, I mean, there have been multiple teams who who need this role filled, right? And even just like a backup to the backup, right? Like there are teams that need to fill that role, and nobody will take a look at him. Just saying. All right? You have better options than bringing in – I mean, Mark Sanchez – is the guy, the architect of the infamous butt fumble. He, he, do you know about this? This is a, this is, this is uh, in the, in the hall of fame of dumbass sports moments where Mark Sanchez gets the ball, runs forward, hits his own teammate on the butt with the ball, fumbles it, the other team grabs it, runs it back. Which happened on the Thanksgiving Day game, by the way. He's terrible he's a notoriously terrible quarterback and he's getting a shot so i do have a question for you peter I, oh i i i love this go ahead it's not like a nitty-gritty football question unfortunately good because it, i would probably <laughs> miss that. i would probably do a terrible job but go ahead so um wasn't there a lawsuit that was happening against all of the nfl team owners yes. for essentially conspiring to blacklist colin kaepernick yes which is still going on uh there is a collude to, to quote the president, collusion. There is a collusion case against the NFL that's been going on for quite some time now. Uh, it, it, most recently, uh, in uh, either the end of August or the beginning of September, we lose all concept of time here these days, uh, but um, it moved forward. They said that this can move forward, and he's got a case. We'll see whether a court agrees, but I think he's got an actual case here. So, look, we'll see what happens with Colin Kaepernick. We're not a sports show, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. Uh, but um, it, it, it's just telling at, at how seriously these folks will not give him a shot. Okay, so let's talk about some news of the day. Uh, I'll just get into the news uh, right off the bat that you might have missed this weekend, three, again, heartbreaking concessions over the weekend, two in Florida, one in Georgia. You know, we were disappointed the morning after the election when it looked like Andrew Gillum had lost his bid for governor of Florida. Uh, Bill Nelson had lost his bid for senator in Florida. And Stacey Abrams had lost in the governorship of Georgia. They all uh, conceded over the weekend. Let's first of all play Bill Nelson, where he just realizes he is he was up against too much. I was not victorious in this race, but I still wish to strongly reaffirm the cause for which we fought. A public office is a public trust. You know, look, Bill Nelson, it was time for him to probably step aside. I'm not thrilled that his replacement is going to be Rick Scott. Think about this for a second. Your replacement, your your senators in Florida are Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. Your governor is Ron DeSantis, Andrew Gillum uh, conceding over the weekend. Florida's got some problems, y'all. Florida, I mean, look, Florida has notoriously been one of these swing states, right? 
this was one of the most stark uh, decisions in the country during the election of uh, the midterms of 2018, right? When you look at a guy who had fully aligned himself with Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis versus a progressive hero in Andrew Gillum, Andrew Gillum lost. Uh, you look at a guy like Bill Nelson, who was an establishment, wishy-washy, fairly conservative Democrat, so it it sucks, but I'm not heartbroken that he lost his seat, uh, versus someone like Bill Nel- uh, Rick Scott, who had tied himself also to Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we had this debate off the air among the show a week ago. Uh, Florida is now, I, I'll say it, Florida is Trump country. Like it or not, that could change. But for now, it's Trump country. They got mini Trump in their governor. They wanted mini Trump in their governor, which sucks. Florida, y'all got to do better. I will say Andrew Gillum is the is the person to change the culture of politics in Florida. I really believe that. And he said in his concession speech, "We're not we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. We've got to change Florida. 2020 could be a totally different ball game for." you know, elected officials in Florida. But for now, you've got Ron DeSantis as your governor, and you've got Rick Scott as your senator. Let's also go to Georgia. Again, you want to talk about someone who can change the culture of politics in the state of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Concede is not the word that she used. She acknowledged that there was not a way that she was going to win. However, she said this is not a concession. To watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. Good for her for pointing out exactly what the factors were uh, in, in her loss. She also went on to say that Brian Kemp, the former Secretary of State, who will now be the governor of Georgia, this was uh, his design all along. The former Secretary of State was deliberate and intentional in his actions. I know that eight years of systemic disenfranchisement, disinvestment, and incompetence had its desired effect on the electoral process in Georgia. So, uh, you know, look. Stacey Abrams uh, is is amazing as a candidate. She still has uh, some power in Georgia to change the system. Uh, and I hope that she acts, absolutely does that. By the way, something that she put out a very classy tweet over the weekend because um, the entertainment industry in a lot of ways has set up shop in Atlanta, Georgia, right? You look at the two biggest movies of the year, if I'm not mistaken, I feel fairly certain in this statement, uh, The Black Panther uh, and uh, Avengers Infinity War, uh, Both, of, I think they're the two biggest movies of the year. Both of them primarily filmed in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, all of the Marvel movies, they sort of have moved in and used that as their, their sort of uh, grounds to film their movies because Atlanta gives them such tax breaks. There was... Uh, a boycott of the state of Georgia that had started going around and saying, we're not going to go there. We're not going to give our business there. They want the entertainment industry to pull out of Atlanta, Georgia altogether uh, because of the voter disenfranchisement and what they, they, what they've done to the vote in Georgia. Stacey Abrams, again, very classy uh, tweet 
over the weekend. I'm not saying that I totally agree with her, but it was a very classy tweet. Uh, she said, I appreciate the calls to action, but I ask all of our entertainment industry friends to support Fair Fight Georgia, but please do not boycott Georgia. The hardworking Georgians who serve on crews and make a living here are not to blame. I promise we will fight and we will win. I think that's a remarkable uh, tweet to send out because, look, I'm one of those people that says, yeah, sure, boycott Georgia. You've got this governor now that stole an election. And uh, if it was up to me, yeah, I'd boycott Georgia, absolutely. But, look, Stacey Abrams has a bigger fight. Um, I think that she has the power and she should, and we hope and we get behind her on this, that she should do everything in her power to actually – Change the way that they vote in Georgia. Fix the way that they vote in Georgia. Because right now, uh, this is a sad state of affairs. Uh, Especially in Georgia. Florida, I think, had a lot of other issues. Florida is Florida. Uh, We'll talk more about this in the next hour of the program with two reporters who were down there a lot. Uh, The woman who was running the uh, uh, elections in Broward County resigned over the weekend who had been made out to be sort of a villain by Republicans because she's an elderly black woman. All that being said, uh, she has a track record of not doing a great job with the elections, okay? And, and, and I say that as someone who I think that she screwed over some Democrats as well, un- unwittingly. Uh, so I, I, my heart is not breaking that she had to go. Uh, also, I mentioned the Jim Acosta uh, decision came down after the show on Friday. Jim Acosta now gets to go back to the White House. He gets his hard pass back. A judge ruled in favor of Jim Acosta. Now, what's very interesting in all of this is the judge basically said that the reason that he gets it back is because the White House really had no clear guidelines of how this all works, right? So the White House was just like, okay, fine, well, we'll just put that together, then we'll just kick his ass out again. Maybe they will. We'll see. I'm not a huge Jim Acosta fan. I think it's great that he's sticking it to the president, but I also think that Jim Acosta has really turned this into the Jim Acosta show. And it's so much bigger than that. It has nothing to do with him, really. True. Right. Right. It's it's just not about Jim Acosta. But, but he makes it about He him. makes it about himself, okay? But all that being said, he should never have had his hard pass taken away. He certainly didn't assault this intern that they accused him of assaulting. And he was 100% absolutely right, and I, and I, I support him on that. All that being said, they'll probably throw him out again. That would be my guess. That would be my guess. Okay, so uh, good grief. Let's go to California. I can't speak to this with the authority that Bill can, being the native Californian that he is. But um, just a couple of updates on the numbers. There are now in the fires uh, 900 people missing, 900 people missing, 77, 77 people have now died. I mean, think about that for a second, because we're so used to seeing these fires in California and, and, and inevitably, sadly, people do lose their lives. But we're now at 77 with 900 people missing. That's horrifying. It's going to take weeks, if not months, to rake through all of the ashes and try to see where other people may be. I don't mean to be too morbid about this, but some of what they're saying in terms of how they are finding and locating some of these bodies, they are not bodies anymore. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's, it's 
horrifying what they're having to look through and sift through and find. And there will be more dead bodies. I feel very certain of that. And uh, the body count will go up. And that's that's terrifying. Uh, Donald Trump went out to uh, uh, California over the weekend. He went to Paradise, California, which has been one of the uh, sort of focal points for the whole thing. But Donald Trump has a new name for it. He forgot that he was in Paradise, California. And listen to what he says. He thinks he's in Pleasure, California. Listen to what he says. I mean, as, as big as they look on the tube, you don't see what's going on until you come here. And what we saw at Pleasure, pleasure. right now, but when, what we just saw, we just left Pleasure. Paradise. Paradise. And, paradise. Paradise. and what we just saw at, at Paradise is just, uh, you know, it's just not acceptable. I mean, he doesn't, he has no, literally when we say that he is mentally ill, he has no idea where he is. He has no idea Literally. where he physically is, which means that he hasn't paid attention to the briefs that are undoubtedly happening right before he goes out to speak. He right. hasn't been watching any national news about what's happening because anywhere that you turn, anything that you pick up, paradise, the word paradise is splashed across the front page. And it's amazing that this man represents people and it's disheartening to see him in these moments of like national tragedy because every single time he fails to step up as the leader that he should be every time every single time he also was asked about climate change uh uh, it's kind of hard to hear the reporter's question but basically like do you believe in this climate change at all no no i have a strong opinion i want great climate we're going to have that and we're going to have forests that are very safe uh we want to have a great climate yes and the question again it was very hard to hear but he says does um seeing these fires does it change your opinion on climate change and he says no of course this is a president who believes that climate change is a chinese hoax uh he also had a very weird curious comment (laughs) i honestly saw this and it took me a while to grasp what on earth he was trying to say, but let's just play the clip first. I was with the president of Finland, and he said, we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. Play that clip one more time. I want everyone to listen to it again, just so you can hear what exactly he said, if it sounds unbelievable. I was with the president of Finland, and he said, we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. So what he's saying is the president of Finland told him that they go out to rake the leaves off of the forest floor. And that is something that helps prevent forest fires in Finland. That is something I've never quite heard of. That is something new to me, raking the leaves off the forest floor. Have you ever heard of anything quite so insane? No, and also the leaves provide like a valuable ecosystem for the animals and bugs there. Yeah. I mean, this is how it works. Like, we've had no real problem. I mean, forests have been around for a while, guys. I don't think that that's the issue. Also, the president of Finland, 
a man by the name of uh, uh, President Ninisto, if I'm not butchering that name, Ninisto, he says he has no recollection of having this conversation with Trump. Which is the polite politician way of saying this never happened. This never happened. Like Donald Trump had some sort of weird lucid dream where he spoke to the president of Finland about raking forest leaves off of the floors of the forest. And all of a sudden it becomes canon. It becomes true. Like, what on earth? What on earth? And that is the Bill Press Show, folks. See you tomorrow. Yeah, the, I, now I, I, going to talk about Turkey for the next hour and a half. Where do you go from there? Where do you go from here when we have a lying president who doesn't know where he physically is, even when he is there for a very tragic, specific, haunting reason? He makes up things about other world leaders now and has the gall to say it in a public forum where he can be actually fact-checked by the politician that he is talking about like where do you go from here I, who, only further farther down the spiral only farther down the, the the sinkhole also while we're in california let's talk really quickly because uh uh another democrat won in the state of california Democrat Gil Cisneros defeated Republican Young Kim in the race for California's 39th Congressional District. Now, this is what's amazing. And we talked about this a little bit with, on Friday with Kylie Joy Gray, who was hosting. This, again, was in Orange County, California. Now, I don't know the area as well as Bill does, but Bill has often talked about going behind the red curtain of Orange County. When you go to Orange County, California, it is a... Republican stronghold in California. And I'm not totally sure why it's such a Republican stronghold, but it is, it has been. Historically, for all of the, the, the you know, uh, joking about how blue California is, there was a very, 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 very dark red area of California. Here's the thing. Orange County, after Gil Cisneros won, is entirely blue. It was a complete washout, a complete <clears throat> wave of blue voters that changed Orange County to a blue district across the board. So that's huge for California. But not only that, at the end of election night, it looked like Democrats in the House we're going to pick up 26 House seats. That was going to be what they picked up, right? 26 House seats. As of last night, 37 and counting. There are still others out there, okay? So this this could uh, – look, I know it sucks that Beto O'Rourke lost, and finally over the weekend we got some closure in Florida and in Georgia with Gillum and um, uh, Rick's, Rick uh, – or excuse me, uh, Bill Nelson – and uh, Stacey Abrams, but there is some good news in the House. There is some good news in the House. 37 House seats picked up and counting. So we will talk about all of those House seats and what it means to the new Congress that will be coming in next year uh, because there's much news to talk about so stay tuned we're going to talk about that uh, with julie grace brufke she is a capitol hill reporter for the hill she joins us in studio after a very quick break stay tuned
on your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Everybody, thank you for listening. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, for watching. Lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, or at Peter Ogburn. Uh, I did mention that the Thanksgiving uh, hotline is open because I cook Thanksgiving dinner. By the way, I should mention, our guest uh, that's with us right now from the Hill, Julie Grace Brofke. How are you? Doing all right. How are you doing? I'm so good. Uh, first trip to the show. Yes. Certainly not going to be the last. Uh, I hope but not. <laughs> thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. We've got lots of Capitol Hill news to talk about. But also, as I mentioned, I always cook Thanksgiving dinner mostly by myself. I got a, I got a comment that I just have to read from John Davis because this is so, so true. Uh, it says, if the pilgrims had something better to eat, we would not be celebrating with turkey. Turkey, not a great food. Um, I, d- I agree with that. It's a little dry. It's dry. It's flavorless. <laughs> I love it at Thanksgiving. Don't get me wrong. But like for the most part, turkey, pretty bland. Once a year is enough for me. I, uh... <laughs> Ray, you, Ray, it looks like you're taking issue with this. Okay, so we've talked about this before. My family, we are Chinese-American. We always have like a very blended type Thanksgiving. Your solution to the bland turkey, uh, which I think you said with your grandmother's solution, <laughs> yeah. is, the great, is one of the most genius things you I've ever heard. Basically cook it sort of like how you would a Peking duck. And I love that. And it is juicy. It is delicious. And I could eat turkey all the time. See, that's the thing. Like, I have a couple of tricks of, like, how to make a perfect turkey, right? But, like, you really have to put in the effort to make turkey, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with putting The other effort. thing is also you can't use, at least my popo always said, my grandmother, you don't use a turkey that's too big. You can't use a bird that's the biggest bird that you can find. If that's you true. have a huge Thanksgiving, which we always do, over 40 people every year, you just cook more than one bird. That's just how it does. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do. These gigantic turkeys, they're, they're not so good. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, find us on Twitter at BP Show or find me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. Uh, I, can, I can help you out with all things Thanksgiving. Um, Julie Grace Prufke is here with us from the Hill. Uh, so let's just jump right into the politics of the day because one of the first of all, I have to point out there is a reason that I booked you on this show. Uh, Ray, you're very good at this. Who does Julie Grace look like? Wait, can you look at me, Julie? Take a look. Take a look. All right, everybody, get a look. Sip's gonna make Sip's gonna make sure that we get a good camera shot here of Julie Grace. Julie Grace Brufke, her lookalikey is. I actually don't know. You stumped me with this one. I'm going to give you a hint. Newly elected to Senate. Oh, my gosh. You are so right. The glasses <laughs> threw me for a moment, but you look so much like Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten Cinema. this all the time. I had a tourist stop me in the hallway while I was walking to go get coffee at Cups in the Senate the other day, and they're like, congratulations on your Senate win. I was, like, running to go get back to, uh, to go write something. And I was like, just like, thank you. Thank you so funny. much. Do you want a photo? Please. No photos. No photos. You tweeted, you tweeted about this, and I go, oh, my God. Yes. That's so right. And then there was a photo of the two of you next to each other. It's like, I... I it looks the two of us. It's almost identical, except I'm like six inches taller in that photo. It's you got the height on her. Yes, that, that's the only it's, thing that will. That would, I think it's the haircut and the glasses. It's I not, see it. I see it. You're both blonde. You both have the same <laughs> similar blonde haircut. You both have uh, the similar style glasses. We dress a lot alike too, which I think is. Uh, 
Well, you should. So, like, you got you got that going for Congress you. Congress needs more hot pink dresses and a hundred percent. Yeah, there's too many black suits around. So, uh, <laughs> follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Grace B. All one word, Julie Grace B. Uh, you can see the photo that you took with Kirsten Cinema, and like a hundred percent, I see it. I see it. There's worse people to look like. I was going to say, I'll, I'll take it. Well, it's- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, use that to your advantage. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like any resourceful um, uh, reporter, you absolutely will. That I will. I and know. I applaud you for it. I applaud you for it. Okay, let's talk about some leadership stuff. Let's start with the Democrats first, because there is this whole uh, thing about whether or not Nancy Pelosi will be Speaker of the House again, and the answer is. Do I think she'll ultimately be able to? I mean, I think. There's probably no better politician out there where I think she'll figure it out. But right now, I don't think I, I think it's going to be hard for her. They're not going to make it easy. I uh, I don't think she has the numbers right now. It doesn't look great right now. But I think next week or uh, when they all come back and they vote within caucus, yeah, it'll probably happen. Uh, if Marsha Fudge ends up launching something on the floor, I don't know. That could get crazy. I, I don't know the last time somebody went down on the floor as speaker if that that's ever happened. But well, here, here's my take. I guess I'm a centrist this way, and that just to be very clear, I think Nancy Pelosi should absolutely be speaker of the house. Right? I think that that should be what happens. That being said, I am not outraged at the idea that there are more progressive, stronger candidates out there that should like Barbara Lee. Like if I had my choice. Barbara Lee would be Speaker of the House. I think Barbara Lee has stood up for uh, progressive principles for a long, long time as well and has gotten a lot of stuff done as well. All that being said, in this particular time, I feel most comfortable with Nancy Pelosi in that slot. And I think a lot of Democrats... She raised such an insane amount of money. uh, Yeah. She... um... I mean, she really funded so many of the... Even the the incoming freshmen that are saying they're going to vote against her campaigns that... uh, Which is amazing. I feel like what's interesting about it is, I mean, Republicans, they lost the majority, almost the same exact leadership lineup with the exception of Kathy Morris Rogers and yeah. a little bit of a shakeup. But it's the Dems that are all uh, like they just took back a ton of seats even more over the weekend after they called California races. Yeah. Look, Nancy Pelosi did her job. Uh, Nancy Pelosi did her job. Like there, like there, there was an idea of uh, the that towards the finish line. Democrats might not actually get back the House, right? And the Democrats not only got back the House, they got it back in a very big way. As I mentioned, on election night, it looked like we were, that they were going to pick up 26 seats. We're now at 37, with more still coming. Yeah, I, uh, I had... Um... Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was just going to say, our friend John Allen, um, who's on the show and guest host frequently from NBC, he was tweeting about this because, because Pelosi and Fudge just had a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, he says, you can visit him at John Allen DC on Twitter. One of the things Fudge said after the meeting was, quote, I am weighing the enormity of what this job, the speaker, entails, the constant travel, being away from home all the time, dot, 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 the fundraising. This is something that, Every guest that has come through um, the BP show and talked about this mentions like Pelosi is unmatched in her ability to fundraise to get the votes. And I think that's what we need for the next two years. I I think that's right. I could be wrong on this, but I I would have to double check the numbers. But I'm pretty sure that Marsha Fudge didn't give anything to the DCCC last cycle. I certainly hadn't heard about it if she had. And she certainly wasn't all that visible. Um, but uh, I, th- I think from all the members I've talked to, they're like, we need a family discussion. I think it's important to have the debate out there. D- do I think Marsha Fudge is going to be? I think the one person that probably could have 
uh, kind of dethroned Nancy Pelosi there is probably Joe Crowley, and he's out. Yeah, so, right. So. Right. That's 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 not starting. How about Tim Ryan? That's often thrown around. Uh, I mean, last time around, he got what fifty something votes, something yeah. which was higher than expected. But I, I mean, he hasn't thrown his name in there. And right. He, it's I, not going to be Tim Ryan. He he might think, run. He's not going to get it. Yeah. It's uh. I mean, they've all kind of been putting their weight behind Marsh Fudge, but uh, I mean, I think it'll be interesting if they manage to come up with somebody over December and how things go down in early January. But. Again, again, I guess this makes me a centrist in that, like, <laughs> I think that it's not a bad idea for there to be a hyper progressive candidate in the race that could maybe show like look Nancy Pelosi I th- again I want to be very very clear I think she should be speaker all that being said she is not perfect I still think one of the most ghastly images was on inauguration day when she and Chuck Schumer go into the oval office and are laughing and fighting over the pen that Donald Trump were using to sign and buddying up to him <laughs> and that was horrifying to me Chuck and Nancy's yeah. about it yeah That's a, those are buddies <laughs> So, but that, like, but again, he's trying to help her out to become speaker now. I know, <laughs> like, I can't figure that out because he's tweeted about what a great job she's done and she deserves it. I, I can't, feel like he's got to just be trolling her. I it's, think it's, so. Uh, That's what I was. I was trying to figure out. Like, is he genuine? Probably not. No, I feel like there's. I mean, the whole big Republican argument is I feel like I, if she stays in there for two years, they've got a better chance of taking back the House in 2020. Which, whether that's true or not. Yeah. I mean, she, they, they've just done such a good job of vilifying her and being yeah. able to win candidates. But uh, which I guess is the whole reason Democrats uh, are yeah. not going to yeah. take it up. But well, it's, uh, which I get. I, I get. I think it's a conversation worth having. Now, here's the thing that really gets my blood boiling uh, is, yes, it's fair that Nancy Pelosi has been vilified and, and been used against Democrats and, and a lot of different things. And, yes, it's true that she hasn't always been the most progressive uh, Speaker of the House when she had the role before. The person that I really want to see gone is Chuck Schumer. And I cannot figure out – we know why – but I cannot figure out why we're not having this whole conversation about his role as opposed to her role. Yeah, I guess nobody's really kind of tried to lodge a challenge against him. I mean, I, I cover the House most of the time, so I should probably pay more attention to the Senate than I do. But it, uh, I, I mean, I think uh, my doppelganger had talked about trying to back somebody else, but it doesn't look like there's really anybody. If Chuck Schumer <laughs> is the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, for the next two years, Democrats should be fairly concerned. I mean, the map's so much better for Democrats in the Senate next time around. Yeah, totally. It's, totally. So 2020 is going to be very, very interesting. It's going to uh, be wild. Yeah. I'm looking forward to see who, seeing who the uh, Democrats' candidate the, the candidate is on top of the ticket. Yeah. I feel like that'll impact well, a lot. Well, here, here, I, I think that's absolutely yeah. right. I think that whoever it is has to have a lot of excitement. I mean, look, you look at what happened. Uh, with just as one example, right, Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Mm-hmm. He was, on a state level, the top of the ticket, right? He was, uh, I think that was the most high-profile race. Oh, yeah. That, I don't, I, I'm not sure if Pete Sessions or Culberson would have lost the race if it weren't for Right, her. that's the thing. Even even though he came up short, he brought all of yeah. these Democratic candidates up, and if, and if Democrats are smart and choose the right inspiring candidate for 2020... I wonder if he'll run. He'd... I think the answer is probably yes. Uh, but who knows, right? And, and who knows if he's the right choice or not? I, I'm not sold that he would be a great idea for 2020. Uh, but sure, what well, the I hell? Better pick than Michael Avenatti, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, the fact that we even had that conversation for a, a little while, like, oh boy. 
So I say that jokingly, but I feel like last time around when it was uh, presidential candidates, nobody thought Donald Trump would end up being the nominee. So <laughs> I, I was very careful, and I'm still pretty careful, to not dismiss Michael yeah. Avenatti as a candidate because he could absolutely run, and he could absolutely have some success. Do I think he'll be the candidate? No. But I also, I knew Trump was going to be the candidate. I knew he was going to win the, the Republican uh, nomination. I knew it from day one. I said it on air. Uh, I don't, I'm not so sure Avenatti could do that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like after, uh, I feel like he's had some negative press in the past couple of weeks, but it's, bit. yeah, <laughs> who knows? Bit. Nothing, yeah. I, don't, I don't think anything can shock me anymore. I say that and then crazy things happen that I'm like, oh, I'm not ashamed of <laughs> Right, <at> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about leadership uh, on the Republican side, uh, because uh, we, we now know that Kevin McCarthy is mm-hmm. going to lead the House Republicans. Jim Jordan never really had a shot, right? No, I mean, he, uh, I think he was kind of hoping to kind of, Created debate there, and yeah. he made the whole argument that they need new leadership because they did lose house, and even in California, the amount of seats lost that was kind of his. Uh... But um, ultimately, I mean, I think the conference likes Kevin a lot. I, I think uh... he's a weird guy in that sense, right? Like he it looked like he was going to be Speaker of the House at one point, and then just completely evaporated for him. Yeah, I mean, he had the whole Benghazi gap yeah. last time around. And that, but I, th- I think this time around, I mean, he had uh, Ryan backing him. And I think he's been working at it for two years. And, I mean, he's very personable when you meet him. It's uh, within I – mean, he's a great fundraiser. So, so let me ask you let, let me ask you this because I think that the Republican Party has a balancing act that they're working mm-hmm. on, right? Like they have these uh, Freedom Caucus, Tea Party or types and then more – uh, Which I think now that they're in the minority, everyone's kind of going to be the Freedom Caucus. Yeah, so. right. I, know, I think you're right, actually. Uh, so how is he going to sort of thread that needle? It's going to be really interesting to see how he works that. I, I think it's going to be easier for them in the minority because it, it's pushing back against everything that Pelosi and Hoyer, if they end up being the leaders, are kind of putting out there. So I think it's yeah. just going to be more of trying to kind of create a contrast than anything else since they're not controlling the floor. Yeah. It, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's easier to get along with everybody when everybody disagrees on us. A... Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, the other thing, we played this, uh, not, la- uh, not last week, but the week before, this clip of Donald Trump at his press conference where he was talking about just beating up on all these Republicans. Okay. They didn't want the embrace. They, they didn't want to embrace. Be a love, want to know love. Who end up, I think she, I, I'm not sure if they called her race, but I think she's back up. She was. Uh, I saw she yeah. was up. I'll be interested uh, to talk to her once. Uh, Mia Love pulls ahead in Utah race. Yeah, so so she's ahead by four. Non-embracing worked out for her. <laughs> Apparently so. Here, listen to this number, right? She is ahead of Ben McAdams by 419 votes. That's it. That's it. It has not been called yet. Uh, this is from about um, an hour ago. They updated this. She is, it's not been called yet, but she is ahead by 419 votes. Now, Donald Trump, again, use her as an example of someone who lost because she did not embrace it. She didn't want to embrace. (laughs) I've talked to some of the candidates, and I was actually surprised by a couple of the losses there. Curbelo was pretty close. uh, But um, Curbelo had made the point that um, DeSantis and Scott did worse in his district than he did in yeah, I, I mean, I think that moderates in suburban districts where women were frustrated were just going to face an uphill battle in the Republican Party. It's, I mean, I had gone out to MacArthur's district to go, and, and a lot of the voters I had talked to out there were just frustrated with 
tweets and kind of the rhetoric and felt like I, I mean I think a lot of it was a referendum on Trump and yeah you know I think I, I think that it really is what the election was about which is curious to see that over the weekend Donald Trump said hey my name wasn't on the ballot <laughs> which is great because he just a couple weeks ago said my name is on the ballot like you're voting for me it nothing matters right like I, <laughs> it's it's hard to find the the bandwidth to get frustrated by that because of course that's what he said. Never like a we, dull moment. No, right. <laughs> and it's just but it's just like it's so predictable. Right? Like he could come out one week and say, you know, I am fighting hard to get this piece of legislation done and then three days later say, I never supported that legislation. So like it's hard to get outraged by yeah, that. Government shutdown will be interesting to see if that ends up happening over border wall. Is that gonna happen? Who know I mean I I've heard talked to some people who are like, I think it might don't make plans too close to so we could be up here until close to Christmas. And then other people that are like, you're fine. So <sighs> everyone will get to go home around the 14th. So, Buy you know. your favorite Capitol Hill reporter a drink uh, <laughs> as you get close to Christmas, because that all this always happens like New Year's parties, Christmas parties always get ruined because y'all have to. Hang out there for. Okay, it's a good thing I love my job. It's uh. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, let's see how much longer you love it when you miss another Christmas, a uh, New Year's party. Um, you also wrote a piece, and and this is something that we we knew was going to happen, right? Like the caravan, the migrant caravan, mm-hmm. completely off the radar now, right? Yeah. They sent all these troops down to the border in Texas, but it turns out it's not where they're coming across. No, so apparently they're headed toward California. So yeah. it's uh like fifteen hundred <laughs> miles away. Yeah. So it's uh we'll see what ends up happening. I forgot about the caravan. Or yeah, that uh <laughs> we, all, I mean, we all have forgotten about the caravan. <laughs> the news cycle's so fast these days, like I'm like, Oh, I did write that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's it, but you wrote about I mean you wrote about this, I'm just looking at the date, like uh, a couple weeks yeah, ago. It's uh right? apparently, yeah, headed headed up. So it's like California. they've got all these five thousand troops we sent down to the border. With the promise of more, maybe. Yeah. Right? Like Donald Trump said, we might even send more. They're all down at the border in Texas. Last week, you had the Secretary of Defense and you had um, the Secretary of Homeland Security both go down there and they're hanging out, eating these, you know, uh, uh, MREs uh, with the uh, the troops on the border. They're not going to be able to be home for Thanksgiving, all this stuff. And it's completely useless. Yeah. Well, they're on the wrong. I feel like they're in the wrong state if... uh... So far away. They're so far away from this, you know, vicious caravan that they say is coming. Um, you know, you you mentioned the uh, shutdown, and there's going to be more about this border wall stuff. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how the House maneuvers this in the next in, session. In, I mean, in the lame duck, I mean. And in the lame duck. Uh, like, will Republicans be able to get something? I mean, I feel like if they couldn't get anything done in July and then they couldn't get anything done in September, the chance them. Figuring out an immigration plan yeah. by the time I think we can agree pass, on that. They can pass both chambers. I mean, stranger things have happened, but I, I would not be optimistic that they would. Uh... Well, there is a part of me that wonders, right? Like some of these outgoing members of Congress. Well, now they sort... have no incentive to vote for. That's the thing. Yeah, like, it's... like they they were more concerned with their reelection bid, and now it's kind of like. You only YOLO once. <laughs> you know, you're out of office. You might as well just go, go for, for it. it. So, like, what I mean, what what could we see? I mean, this could get really interesting. I mean, with the immigration, I mean, 
Trump's threatened to veto anything that doesn't have border wall funding. So whether he actually, I mean, they passed a few of the appropriation bills already. So I think a shutdown, it would only be a partial shutdown anyway. But um, I mean, hopefully for everyone's Christmases, they, they figure something out, that whether it includes border wall funding or not. But uh, for my oh. own selfish purposes of wanting to go back to Pennsylvania for Christmas. But, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's think about the reporters here, people. Um, so... You know, there's been a lot of emphasis about how the Democrats are going to handle their newfound power in the House, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of people that are automatically crying for investigations and all kinds of things, right? So, yeah, what I know there's a pretty heated battle like, for the judiciary chair right now with Jim Jordan and Doug Collins and uh, Steve Shabbat over who is the best to kind of push back against whether it, if impeachment, if that ends up happening. Which uh, it'll be. What's your read on that? And I know so that this th- is just I guesswork think, at this point. I think that Doug Collins with the steering committee. I think uh, it's hard for any Freedom Caucus guy. With, yeah. Anyone who's bucked leadership that many times, I don't. I don't think uh, it's going to be difficult for Jim Jordan to be able to pull that off. I think even with President endorsing him. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, who knows? It's uh, once they get in there because I know that the conservatives have been pushing for steering committee changes and rules changes and better committee chair uh, chairmanship so mm. whether uh they'll take that into account this time around if they expect to take the majority back next time whether it's in uh kevin mccarthy's best interest to kind of get on that now to get votes down the line if he does become speaker in 2020 it'll it's uh, uh so much political maneuvering you know <laughs> i don't want to look too far down the line right but like are we getting a sense of what the democrats strategy is for holding on to this majority in the house in 2020 right when you talk about what could be coming up? Like, do they are they concerned? Because my fear is oh, them overplaying their hand a little bit, right? And I don't want to say it's a fear because it's it's really not that big a fear because I think they have a lot of things they actually have to look at, mm-hmm. right? But that the perception could be that they are now drunk with power and doing too much stuff. I, mean, I don't know if they're going to have that. I, I mean, it'll no. be. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens in the next two years and what Trump focuses on. And but I think. They're going to have to find a way to kind of keep the educated suburban women in that voting block that's uh, kind of leaning leaning Democrat these days. So, yeah. I mean, I don't see the president changing his rhetoric anytime soon. So you brought it up, impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, are you getting any kind of sense as to whether or not that's going to be something that they do take on? I know a lot of people said they weren't and and. A lot of people took it off the table, but then you have others who have been pushing for it and fighting yeah. for it in the House since day one. So I think a lot of the, a lot of the top Democrats I talked to ahead of the election, they were all like, "It's not going to happen." Now that it's after the election, they have taken power. Yeah. Whether that'll change, I'm I'm not sure, but uh, probably be the best thing to happen to Trump. Who I feel like in 2020, I think that would only help his reelection. I, I think that's probably right. I mean, look, I, I I think that the goal should not be impeaching Trump. Right now, the goal should be to just get him out of office in 2020. If that, if you're a Democrat, right? Like you should be fighting for that. You got two more years. Buckle up. These next two years are going to be way weirder than the previous two years, by the way, <laughs> which were insane. Like the previous two years, we've been living through some of the weirdest times in, in American history, and I think that they're only about to get weirder. I. I... Not sure how it can get weirder, but I'm here for it. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm like, sure. It's uh, that that being said, I I am appreciative of folks uh like 
Al Green and Maxine Waters who have talked about impeachment. I think they're going to be pushing for the tax returns. I think there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of investigations. Whether whether they pursue impeachment, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. So uh, tell me uh, the schedule for back to Nancy Pelosi. The schedule for the Speaker of the House. When will we get some idea? I think there's the caucus. I think they meet in caucus to try and decide that when they get back after Thanksgiving, and then there's the floor vote in January. So I I know that Marsha Fudge had said that she might not decide until after the caucus meeting. I mean, if she votes for her in, in caucus, then she's kind of stuck with that on the floor. So we'll see. I mean, it could get... It could get crazy. It, it will get crazy. <laughs> if you're a betting person, always bet on crazy these days because it's going to be nuts. My prediction is Nancy Pelosi will be Speaker of the House. I believe that she deserves that job. Uh, I think that there will be not nearly as much drama as we're making it out to be, and that's fine, too. Uh, Julie Grace Prufke, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, not Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> But Julie uh, we had you on not not only to talk about your your doppelganger, but also all the great news happening on the Hill. Uh, she's political reporter for the Hill. Follow her on Twitter at Julie Grace B. We're gonna take a very very quick break, and we'll be right back here on the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on. Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Very, very quick break. Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. It is Monday, Thanksgiving week, November 19th. Thanksgiving is early this year, uh, which we we discussed earlier. My neighbors have already put up their Christmas tree. Wow. Too soon. Too soon, right? Yeah. uh, Way too soon. Like, I I think that there is a very, very easy way to determine if if you're at your home with your family and you're wondering... Is it too early to put up a Christmas tree? The answer is, has Thanksgiving happened yet? Yeah. And if Thanksgiving has not happened yet, then it's too early. I feel like if you're even asking that question, it's too early. <laughs> it's too early. Because in this culture, it's like it's early. never too early. So right. if you have to think, I'm a little bit ahead of everyone else, then y- yes, you are too early. Uh, Alex, you will agree with me, I'm sure, that the best holiday is, of course, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It's the best holiday. I'm I'm partial to Halloween, but Thanksgiving is a close Halloween. Oh, Halloween, yeah. oh, no, great. there are lots of acceptable answers in my opinion. Alex, I don't know if Halloween. I like is Halloween. The best. I, 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 I'm with you. I, I like Halloween. I don't dislike the Halloween best, at all. But the best. I mean, uh, defend yourself. 
candy, costumes. Okay. Uh, candy. Cute kids in costumes. Okay. Parties. Uh, jack o' lanterns. Jack o' lanterns. Arts and crafts. Did you dress up for Halloween this I year? I did. I what, did. What were you? I, I made a, a costume out of floppy disks and pogs. I was <laughs> n- 90s man. <laughs> Everyone's favorite superhero. Pogs! That's great. Oh my God. Yeah. Somewhere. So I have to defend all the work that I put into my costume. I, look, I, I appreciate that and I applaud you. I applaud you. <laughs> okay, next question though. What's the best Halloween candy and the worst? I, I I have an answer for this, by the way. All right. The the best Halloween candy is the fun size Snickers. It's a great choice. It's all. It's choice. the it's the best choice. Tied with Almond Joy, but yeah. I love Almond Joy. Yeah, I'm a big. Almond yes, Joy. Alex. Yes. Yeah. Let me tell you what I, we I, did. I, I, Peter's head is gonna explode right here. Let me tell you what we did on Halloween. You know what we did? Because we sit down. Stop. This hurts my heart. No, we sit down. We dump the bags out. Because I have a teenager now who's too cool for trick or treating. My youngest, he went out and he got as much candy as he could. We dumped the bag out. We put it into different categories. Snickers, own category. Every other <laughs> chocolate, the best. every other chocolate gets its own category, right? With the other all stars like Twix and Kit Kat and all that stuff. Boom, in that category. Then you've got like the Laffy Taffy and all the other Skittles and Starburst, and those are like we've still got those laying around. The Almond Joys get their own special category. You know where we keep those? In the trash. They're <laughs> terrible. Almond Joys are awful. Peter has lots of hot takes, but this one is just wrong. Yeah, it tastes like low quality chocolate mixed with suntan lotion. It's awful. Almond Joy is bad. This is fake news, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is just uh, you know prejudice against. Fruits and and healthy things inside of healthy chocolate. things. Almond joys are the healthiest candy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You heard, you heard it here practically, first. It, you're practically going to the gym when you eat an almond joy. <laughs> Basically, you're eating like a healthy almond. It's probably raw under there. It's not even. You know, it's not. <laughs> you and I both know it's not. But is it more healthy than say nougat and caramel and peanuts? Yes, probably. Yeah, but. That's it's not, not a, a hill not a, I feel like, like, like dying. It's not a kombucha fiber. bar. It's not, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, uh, speaking of kombucha, by the way, I just I started my batch. Ray uh, has been making kombucha, and she very graciously uh, gave me her SCOBY, her Symbiotic Culture of a Bacterial mother. Yeast. A oh, mother. Yes. Okay. You're going to get the mother. Yeah. yeah. So, I start, I've started it because I'm going out cool. of town for Ving. And Which is the perfect time to start it. If anybody wants to brew kombucha and you love it, it's like hard to wait for a week or more for it to ferment. So just start it before you go out of town. Ray All is right. is my kombucha Jedi right now. I'm learning from her. <laughs> kombucha uh, queen. Yeah, she's my kombucha queen. Tweet me I at like kombucha queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> booch queen. Like and On subscribe. Twitter at booch queen. <laughs> like and subscribe for more content about <laughs> Almond Joys and kombucha. Yeah, okay. All right. So there's more going on besides uh, Almond Joy and kombucha and uh, Thanksgiving being the greatest holiday. Uh, Alex, um, Let's talk about some Democratic politics because it was a bummer of a weekend uh, for Democrats. They had three high-profile concessions. Andrew Gillum conceded. Bill Nelson conceded. Stacey Abrams conceded. Although Stacey Abrams said she did not concede, but she gave up the race. Right. It's a matter of semantics. She lost. And she there lost. are a lot of different factors that, that go into that loss, which she explained. Ray, if I could, I want to pull up the second clip of Stacey Abrams uh, where she – admitted that the former Secretary of State, who will now be governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, uh, made sure that this was this was the outcome that, that he got. The former Secretary of State was deliberate and intentional in his actions. 
I know that eight years of systemic disenfranchisement, disinvestment, and incompetence had its desired effect on the electoral process in Georgia. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. And it's it's refreshing to see a Democrat go down swinging. Yeah. Because uh, it's not something that we're used to in this party of, of Democrats. So, uh, you know, Bill Nelson, I think that's the end of the road for Bill Nelson, right? And that's He's like 77 or something. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to mount any kind of major comeback. But I think that when Democrats looked at the election in 2018, they saw some really bright stars of the future in Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, and Andrew Gillum. Yep. They all lost. Yep. So now what? <laughs> well, I think Beto is very likely looking at running for president. Uh, and so, so we'll put him aside. I think it's a, it's a little trickier for Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum, and this has always been a problem in, when you're an ambitious Democrat in a red state is, you know, where do you go to succeed? They tried to both run for governor, uh, came up short. They could run again, and I, and I sure. think uh, there's a good chance that both of them will. Uh, but, you know, they, they have a, a reasonable case to make. They came – Especially Stacey Abrams in Georgia, she came closer than any Democrat uh, in recent history since since it was the Dixiecrat Party to winning as a black woman running on a pretty progressive platform in Georgia. Raised a ton of money. Gillum did the same, uh, and she Abrams before she ran for governor spent years doing this thing called the New Georgia Project, which was organizing voters and you know basically playing the long game for Democrats in Georgia. So she could go back to doing that. Georgia's probably going to be in play in twenty twenty or at least. You know, on the second tier of of states, so she could get involved in that. But it's a good question. I yeah, I don't know. They do they start a, a national group to keep their name out there? Do they travel a lot? Because they're both now. Well, Gillum is just about to be out of a job, but Abrams out of a job, so they don't have a day job anymore. Yeah, you know, I I, I think that um, in Stacey Abrams' case specifically, right? Like she can do so much for the state of Georgia to fix the problem. <clears throat> for yeah. When she runs again, if she decides to run again, but also for future uh, elections, right? I mean, you look at what happened in, say, Pennsylvania, right, with the gerrymandering. And the gerrymandering came back around to make it more fair, and Democrats won pretty convincingly in Pennsylvania this time around. That's sort of the point of gerrymandering with Republicans. They make it a way that it's really hard for Democrats to win. And I think that it's a long process of Democrats trying to sort of untangle that knot uh, uh, that that they're fighting against. But now that should be the focus, I think, rather than, you know, the Barack Obama years of just be really inspiring and get elected to office. We have to undo some of the damage. Well, she can basically take her, that speech and use that as a blueprint for the next four years for her if she wanted to, if she wanted to go that route, to work on voting rights, registration, fight back against now Governor Kemp. Uh, and whatever he does on, you know, <coughs> suppression and those kinds of uh, issues, pursue that through legal ways, pursue that through grassroots organizing. So there's definitely a, a pretty clear path there if she wanted to take that route. Uh, you mentioned Beto O'Rourke possibly running for president. Um, are you hearing anything that indicates which way he's going? Uh, so I just had dinner with somebody in Florida, like a, a, a kind of big time Dem operative down there who said he got a call from someone close to Beto saying, we're thinking about doing this. Uh, you know, would you would you be with us? Who should we hire in South Florida? So I think he's very seriously looking at it. And why why not? I mean, the, yeah. yeah, he raised. What do you have to lose? What does he have to lose? Yeah, he's at, he's now out of a job, too. He gave up his House seat uh, to run for Senate. 
he's you know no one else is inspiring people the way he is he, he's kind of got that lightning in a bottle thing these giant crowds huge amounts of small dollar donors he's kind of like a internet heartthrob uh with beto they they call him uh you know and he's getting like celebrities he's got that that, that like like uh, as a as a former obama uh person put it to me he's he's white obama yeah yeah i i think that's i think that there's absolutely a large chunk of his draw is that he is just reminds people of obama yeah and he's also let's not let's not discount as you mentioned the thirst factor yeah like there is a, i mean that that is <laughs> it's, a, it's thing. a real thing that yeah. is a real thing it's a real thing yeah it can't be discounted and i think it was true for obama too but maybe those were more genteel yeah. media yeah. days when we didn't talk about that uh, yeah. as much you know in 2008 uh, but yeah, and and uh, I think a lot of the other, especially the national, uh, you know, the senators mainly, they've been going toe to toe with the, with Trump, and they've seen that as kind of their mode. Like Elizabeth Warren has we duke it out with Trump on Twitter, and Beto just took a totally different approach with with Ted Cruz and with uh, Trump, where he just kind of you know tried to rise above it, the the Obama thing, and and yeah. stay above the fray. And I think that might be refreshing uh, for a lot of people. Uh, you know, to, to kind of have that approach. And if you look at the way that people ran in 2018, a lot of these winning House candidates, they all kind of made a decision early on to just ignore Trump, just never talk about him. So much they would get kind of comical at points where you would ask them a question about something that Trump said, and they'd be like, that's an interesting question. Healthcare is such an important issue for the <laughs> right. American people right. or whatever. So I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, at least initially, a lot of people looking at 2020 will will take a page uh, from that playbook and just try to ignore Trump as much as possible. Otherwise, you just follow him down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. And you're just constantly responding to him. Which is true for the uh, politicians that are running against him. It's also true for the media, right? Like right. If you just follow him wherever he goes, you will end up completely going in circles. Right. To, right. The, like, like, again, like I just mentioned this. He he said over the weekend, my name wasn't on the ballot in the mid. Just said like, like two weeks ago, I'm on the ballot in the midterms. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he will just like straight up lie and contradict himself two sentences from apart from each other. And it doesn't matter if you call him on it. Nope. So it's just not productive, uh, I think. And the media is that's a tougher problem. It's like a collective action problem where if everybody else is talking about Trump and that you're getting the clicks and the and the eyeballs on it because there is a big appetite out there for it, then you're going to feel compelled to do it too. So I don't think these candidates are going to solve the, that problem, uh, and they're going to complain about it, I'm sure. But what they can control is what they talk about, yeah. and they don't have to talk about Trump. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. That was a, a very, very important lesson uh, from this election. So uh, on election night, we walked away knowing that there were several seats and races that were not yet called and they were up in the air. But we knew on election night that Democrats were going to get control of the House. Yeah. 26 seats on election night. That has now, again, there was another race in uh, California, Orange County in California, uh, uh, where Gil Cisneros beat Young Kim, which was now the 37th seat that Democrats have picked up. And there might be more. There might be one more out there, but yeah, it's it, it, which is huge. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, you c- predicted 37 seats. Is that I, right? I did. Pre- th- well, thank you for noticing. I did predict 37 seats. Sure, th- you can give yourself a little pat on the back. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like this was a this election was like the Jimmy Carter of elections for Democrats. Like the election night wasn't so great, but the post presidency, yeah. the post election has been really good for for Democrats. Yeah. So yeah, the, it did not look like a great night uh, on election night. It looked like you know they picked up the house, but it was going to be kind of ugly, a, a close margin. Now Nancy Pelosi most likely is going to be coming in with a a real majority. She can sacrifice, you know, stand to lose a few people here and there, 
on votes, and she can negotiate with Trump from a real position of strength. It's it's a silly question that we always get into after any election over mandate, right? Do, yeah. Now do House Democrats have a mandate to go after Trump? Uh, and I think, yeah, they, they absolutely do. So you brought it up, so I want to go into it. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Will she be the next Speaker of the House? I, I think it's I, – I would be willing to put money on, on it at this point. We're two for two now. For those of you keeping score at home, our previous guest, I asked her the same question. She covers the uh, uh, the House for the Hill. Uh, she said, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I agree. So if you want to put me in, that's three for three. But, yes, I think that's going to happen, absolutely. Yeah, the, I think she – I think Nancy Pelosi has done a – and this is where her strength is. She's – Clearly, a liability for the party on the campaign trail. Uh, you know, Dem- Republicans would not have spent I don't know a hundred million dollars. It's yeah. not an exaggeration. Probably something at least that against her if she wasn't. Yeah. And I've seen the numbers; they're terrible for her. But once she gets on the inside game, once you're talking about inside Congress, she is really, really good. And I think she has very effectively co-opted a lot of the left in these early days. Uh, she got you know move on to endorse her. A lot of the unions to endorse her. A lot of she got Alexandria Ocasio Cortez to to endorse her, uh, and so now all the opposition is coming from the New Dems and the kind of centrist wing, who are, are a real faction, but they don't have the kind of like angry grassroots yeah. power that the left does. So there's this been this this mythical letter that's floating around, supposedly twenty Nancy Pelosi rebels who yeah. are out there who are going to put their name out there, they're going to show their faces and say, you know, we're going to vote against her. That was supposed to drop Thursday, then Friday. Then over the weekend, and it's now Monday, and it hasn't materialized. And I think that's probably because a lot of people are getting uh, cold feet. As as yeah, I, I think that's probably right. And and, and again, I'll, I'll repeat something that I said in the last hour. I, I'm a centrist in one way. I think that Nancy Pelosi absolutely, positively should be the Speaker of the House. But I also think that I am not turned off by the idea of more progressive candidates running for the seat as well. Yeah, like I I'm, I don't have a problem with that. Well, I think she I would actually. I think she would actually benefit from yeah. having a, a challenge who doesn't beat her, obviously. Yeah. But uh, yeah, who absorbs some of the the anti Pelosi rancor, and I don't think it could be somebody too too progressive because then you're not gonna. That's not gonna be satisfying to the new dem to the sure. Seth Moltons of the world. Sure. But somebody who could be kind of appealing to you know all of the above, or at least. Uh, just a vessel to like lodge your protest. Yeah, and there's a key process thing here that I, I'm sorry if you guys already went over this, but I think it's really important. No, no, I want to hear it from you. <laughs> so all these candidates, like 23 candidates, I think it was, depending on how you count it, said uh, who who ran and won this year said they would not vote for Nancy Pelosi yeah. or vote against Nancy Pelosi. The way the actual speakership elections work, there's the first round inside the caucus where you you yes she needs a majority, but then on the floor. You don't actually vote for or against Nancy Pelosi. You shout out a name. They go around yeah. member by member, and you shout out a name. So it's very easy to just <laughs> vote absent, and then you're not voting for Nancy Pelosi, and then it doesn't count in the denominator. Right. So she doesn't need as you know, she only needs a majority of the people who voted for someone. So it's very easy for them to escape this uh, conundrum that they're in. Yeah. In other words, th- this is just inevitable. That's what's going to happen for her. Yeah. So the real question is, uh, her the people that work with her. Uh, we some familiar faces: uh, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn. Yeah. Uh, what happens to Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn? I, I mean, this is like the the. It's been amazing to see Nancy Pelosi's star just turn 180 degrees. I think, especially on the left in the in the past couple of weeks, you know, absolute villain. We gotta we gotta get rid of her too. Okay, actually, I think we I think I kind of like her. The the where it gets trickier is with Hoyer and Clyburn because yeah. now you're talking about. Three same people in charge for a decade, I think. 
they're all in their 70s uh but they're all kind of in a um lock with each other where yeah. Hoyer has been waiting around for years and years waiting for Pelosi to retire or for you know something to happen to her sure. frankly sure and uh, she's been sticking around to prevent him from coming up Clyburn you, the the Congressional Black Caucus is really powerful and you basically have to have somebody from the CBC yes. in the top three leadership yeah. so that's that's Clyburn it could be somebody else but you're going to have to then deal with Clyburn so there's a good chance that by the, after all of this after this like mandate for change that Democrats got after all these young, fresh, new faces that they got elected, these these great stars, they end up with the same three 70-something-year-olds on the top of their uh, their House leadership. You know, one of the people that I would uh, – it's not necessarily a change, but one of the people I would love to see in a high-profile spot for leadership of the Democrats is Barbara Lee. Again, Barbara Lee, been around for a long time, uh, you know – She's great, but again, like I would love to see some younger faces in there. Yeah, right. I just she's, would. Yeah, and she's also been around for a long time. Right? A long, long time. I just I don't see how you get around that as Democrats. Uh, I want to read <clears throat> a couple of comments uh, from our Twitter page at BP Show at BP Show uh, because we have a couple of questions. I was talking about Chuck Schumer uh, earlier, which I want to ask you about. Um, Bab says. Who's not talking about Chuck Schumer? Chuck Schumer is like a Bernie Sanders rally because the media doesn't cover Bernie. His large rallies don't exist. Everyone is talking about Chuck Schumer. Those not talking about him are talking about sexism. So while I don't follow that comment completely, what I will say is we've spent a lot of time talking about Nancy Pelosi and her struggles to get back as, as Speaker of the House and what that's going to look like. And why not Chuck Schumer? And why not Chuck Schumer? Nancy Pelosi did her job. Right. Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, I mean, Chuck Schumer did not. Essentially. And I know it was he tough. He had a bad map. Yeah, yeah. He had a terrible map. But also, but, right, right. Y- you know, I, Chuck I, Schumer, I, get the I think, point. has been terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think you're not alone in that. And not just uh, on the left. Yeah. There, if you talk to a lot of former Harry Reid people who have, you know, been in that job, they've, they've, they've done that. They know what they're talking about, and they're not too happy with Chuck Schumer. But... The reason we're talking about Nancy Pelosi is because she is now in the catbird seat. She's about to become, likely, about to become the Speaker of the House. That's why we're talking about uh, that. Chuck Schumer will continue doing the same thing that he's been doing, yeah. which is you know being a second tier. The, the The difference between being minority leader in the House and being Speaker in the House and the same in the Senate is enormous. It's it's a it's a huge difference. So they're not equivalent. Nancy Pelosi just became Chuck Schumer was probably more powerful than Nancy Pelosi, exclusively because of the filibuster. In the uh, 2017, 2018, Nancy Pelosi just rocketed ahead of Chuck Schumer yeah. in terms of power. Uh, I want to ask you about something else because uh, Bab mentioned it in, in that tweet, uh, Bernie Sanders, because we did a, a podcast this this weekend, which, again, if you subscribe to our podcast, we put out the show every single day that we're live, Monday through Friday. But we also do a weekend podcast where you get to hear other stuff that we don't have time for on this show necessarily. So we did a whole podcast with Gideon Resnick from the Daily Beast who wrote a piece about Bernie Sanders is now taking on Walmart. Yeah. Uh, he took on Amazon, and it worked. Now he's taking on Walmart, and it worked. Or, or we'll see if it's going to work. I'll put it that way. I didn't, I didn't mean to get ahead of myself. But is Bernie, the influence that he has on the Democratic Party, he's almost certainly going to run for president in 2020. I'm not sure that that's a great idea, frankly. I think that whatever he captured in 2016 is probably gone. But also, at the same time, 
thank God for Bernie Sanders for continuing to push this type of progressive stuff forward, right? Like, there's no other progressive that out that, that's as visible as him that's pushing on these issues of workers' rights. Yeah. I, I think that this Walmart thing is a great uh, kind of example of what unique role he can play. Right. So the so the the Walmart thing is it's like end uh, corporate welfare I think is the kind of tagline for it. The idea is that Walmart and giant corporations should not be their employees should not be eligible for food stamps and stuff because uh Walmart should just be paying them yeah. enough so that they don't a living wage. A living wage so that taxpayers don't have to subsidize it. Uh a lot of progressive policy experts say, "Whoa, that's a terrible idea because Walmart has been one of the most important institutional political defenders of food stamps and uh, expanded welfare state they, maybe they have a you know a selfish interest I was in going to say yeah, yeah I wonder why but in in the real politic of like Capitol Hill yeah. having Walmart on your side can be very practical and so I, it's a but but Bernie Sanders has, has made this issue he's he's uh, rallied a lot of people around I think that's a perfect way role that he can play where he can kind of ignore the institutional people the ex, the so-called experts and Take a position that is politically going to advance the larger goals, even if this particular piece of legislation he doesn't really care about. Like I, I, this particular piece of legislation has no hope of actually becoming law, and he knows that. So he can champion it, even if he doesn't, if the policy isn't one hundred percent right, uh, because it, it achieves the larger goal of yeah. raising awareness. On the presidential thing, I, th- I think you're right. I think there's a chance that the movement that he basically created. Has moved past him. Yeah, at, at this one hundred percent. I think I, I think that that's true. And again, you know, when we talk about politicians who uh, maybe it's time for them to step aside and let some younger leadership sort of shine, I think that's a good example where that might be true. I'm I'm not convinced that he's going to run. I, I think he's really? I think he's actually weighing it. Uh, I think he's definitely he's definitely looking at it very seriously. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, but I, I think he's yeah. I think he's seriously weighing it. Uh, I mean, so much of his appeal in '16 was being the other person who showed up. You know, what ninety yeah. percent of life is showing up. Nobody showed up. It was Hillary Clinton and nobody else. And he captured a hundred percent essentially. Sorry, Martin O'Malley of the non. Hillary Clinton vote, and uh, and that included like you know white progressive college students like we all talked about, but also people like you know downscale whites, some of whom have voted for Trump in like West Virginia and places like that because they didn't like Hillary Clinton and he was an alternative to that. He's not going to get those people no. again this year. And on the progressives, he's going to have to fight for them with Elizabeth Warren, Kamala yeah. Harris, yeah. Beto, Sherrod Brown. Who who knows? You know, I mean Hillary Clinton uh, by her design made sure that most candidates stayed out of the election. Most Democratic candidates stayed out of the election in 2016. Bernie was essentially the only one to do it. Uh, And, you know, there are a lot of similarities in theory between Bernie and Donald Trump in the sense that I think Bernie does really well when he has something very strong to run against. Yeah. Right? Whether it's bad corporate greed or Hillary Clinton or whatever it is, right? Like Donald Trump's the same way. He has to have a straw person to run against, right? So I don't think – I just – I just I think you're right. It's just not going to be the case. We counted on air. There were like 28 presidential candidates for 2020 on the Democratic side that are rumored or adjacent to. There might even be more than that. Like, yeah. There were a couple others that we, we tacked on at the end. So – I think Bernie's time as a presidential candidate has come and gone, but 
he still has major influence over the party, and I think is a force for good. He's got major juice, and I've heard people around him say, well... I got major juice! Major juice! Uh, say, you know, maybe he could play a kingmaker role, and that's his better... Sure! That's his better uh, avenue. The one thing I'll say to counter that in his defense, uh, or, or in, in the argument for why he should run, uh, in a crowded field with... Super Tuesday coming up. Uh, you know, so we're gonna have the, the four early states: Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. Probably not gonna get a uh, probably gonna be a split with so many candidates. Sure. Yeah. So then Super Tuesday is the next thing that comes up. That includes giant states like Texas, California, Massachusetts. These are states that are expensive to campaign in because you can't really do retail politics. You have to run a lot of TV ads. The point is, you're gonna need a lot of money yeah. to to stay in this thing and to to win. And Bernie Sanders is one of the few people who we know can raise a lot of money. Uh, and that alone makes him That's a really good point. dangerous. That's for a anybody really, else. really, really good point. It, you know, for all the talk about getting money out of politics, uh, still the thing that drives it, and whoever's got the most cash might be the one that sort of breaks away from the Democratic field in 2020. Okay, you're sticking around with us. We're going to go down to Florida and talk all about the uh, results down there. We do have some finality that we've been looking for. Pema Levy from Mother Jones joins us next. Alex Seitzwald from NBC News is going to stick around. Uh, we're going to talk Florida, Florida, Florida. Get ready. Brace <laughs> yourselves. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. Same great show. New great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's right. We are at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Just a reminder that it is Thanksgiving week. So we're going to be gone. We're going to be uh, off air on Thursday and Friday. But don't worry. We have uh, recorded a couple of things. We're going to put up in podcast form and also at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, which you can watch, you can consume uh, on Thanksgiving Day or the day after. And they live up there if you want to hear them afterwards as well. we got a lot of good programming coming up. I also mentioned that Thanksgiving is the best holiday. Pimba Levy from Mother Jones, Jones is here. Disagreement? No, I'm, I'm not going to fight with you on that one. All right, there you go. You are correct. It sound like a, like a wholehearted... Uh, <laughs> I agree. It best. doesn't sound like a full agreement, What's but we'll best take holiday? it, Pema. What's the best holiday, Pema? I, that's the issue. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a better one. The correct answer is Thanksgiving. We can, all this is we all know this. Can we all agree that the worst holiday is New Year's Day? I love New Year's, New Year's Day. Eve. I love New Year's Day. No. New Year's Day is in my top five. New Year's Day is in my New top Year's five. Day, wait, New, yeah, New Year's like, Eve is terrible. New, New Year's, Year's Eve is horrible. Yeah, New Year's, New Year's Day. Day. Big thumbs up for me. Yeah, I love New Year's Day. What's to hate about New Year's Day? We're just gonna have to get into this because I feel like we keep talking about this and we're just totally out of step, Peter. New Year's well, Day, what do you do that makes New Year's Day super special? <clears throat> I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> Every New Year's Day, there's a tradition. Uh, luck and money. You know about luck and money? No. No. Yeah. Luck and money. You know about luck and money? Yeah. All right. So luck and money. You make black-eyed peas. Okay. And you make collard greens. And the collard greens are meant to signify money. You hope to have some prosperity in the new year. And the black-eyed peas, luck, you hope to have more good luck in the new year. Uh, I'm from the South, so it, so it usually means that we serve some form of pork product as the main dish. So I always make some sort of like pork loin. This is lovely. Luck and money. See, this sounds like my this sounds like my Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year. We do very similar things. To, okay. Yeah. So yes, Chinese New Year is awesome. But my like n January first day, it's never anything special. It's always like 
I guess I'll like have a cup of coffee and clean the house. Like nobody wants to do anything. So uh, there's not as much distance between us as we think. You enjoy yes. the Chinese New Year. I enjoy the 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 observed New Year uh, for much of the same reason. I I like New Year's Day because it's. The only day when all my resolutions come true. <laughs> oh my gosh, when that I'm is so, like, true. so true. I'm like, it's a new world. I'm the best person that I've ever been. Yeah. And then like January second, it's it's over. Yeah. But for one day, I get Hope one day when I am just like a perfect version of myself. Oh, I, that is nice. Uh, uh, so what I was saying is, uh, Thanksgiving is the best holiday. I cook Thanksgiving dinner mostly by myself, and I have for many many years. Someone, uh, uh, the, the Thanksgiving hotline is open. Uh, at Peter Ogburn on Twitter or at VP Show. Someone asked me, uh, stuffing or dressing? Stuffing mm. or dressing? What do you call it? Alex. Stuffing. Stuffing. I call it stuffing, but I know that technically it's incorrect. It's incorrect. The yeah. correct answer is dressing. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's dressing. It's not stuffed. I know. And, I mean, people do. People do stuff it. It's not, the, it's, it's not a great idea. Agreed. Frankly. Agreed. It's Cook not the best way to do dressing separately. It. Than stuffing the bird, but it's it's called dressing. As for me and my people, we call it dressing, and so but that, that's fine. That's fine. All right, so we have other pressing issues to talk about, <laughs> believe so. it or not. Um, it, it, you were both just back for you just this weekend. Got back from Florida, uh, where uh, Andrew Gillum has now officially conceded again in Florida. Bill Nelson has conceded in Florida. We had a sort of internal conversation last week when Bill was here off the air, and I want to ask you both the same question. Pema, I'll start with you. Bring it. Is Florida Trump country? Mm. So first of all, I think the answer is yes. Um, I think that when you look at polling out of Florida, you know, regardless of me being there, Trump seems to do better there than he has, you know, he holds up there than he does better in a lot of other states, I think. Largely because they have this sort of sustained um, older population. But I also came away from Florida feeling that if it weren't for um, incompetence at at the level of the supervisors of elections, as well as of the Democratic Party, um, as well as, uh, you know, basically the, the voters to be able to follow the rules because the rules are not conducive to actually being able to successfully cast a ballot, um, that Democrats would have won. I came across, away saying if there if this had been managed just a little bit better because we're talking about really thin margins yeah. here um, that Andrew Gillum would have won and that Bill Nelson would have won. Okay, I, I want to pick up on that in just a moment, but Alex, I want to ask you the same question: Is Florida Trump country? Uh, I, I I'm going to take the cop out and say it's like it's the fifty fifty state. It just every year we keep thinking that Florida oh the Puerto Ricans are going to come in and make it blue. Or, you know, something has changed. The, the Cubans no longer vote super Republican. The new generation is younger. They're going to be blue. And every year it's 50-50. It, it is the craziest thing to me that from 2014, the lowest turnout uh, midterm election since uh, World War II, mm-hmm. to 2016, a huge presidential year, to 2018, the highest midterm election turnout since forever. And the margins are, like, identical in all of those years. Totally different candidates. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, like Andrew Gillum, super progressive black candidate in the south gets almost identical you know vote share to the white moderate former astronaut running at the same time so it, 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 it it's just this weird like equal and opposite force uh thing in florida that i i don't really understand i feel like one of the things and i i this is more theory than i know for a fact sure. but i think that this is a, a theory we can work with here 
um, you have, like you said, all of these reasons that it should be trending more progressive, right? You've got, you know, the Puerto Ricans coming in. You've got, like, younger, um, you know, diverse population growing up there. And then you just have retirees that just arrive every single year yeah. and, like, continue to replenish the retiree community, which is a very high-voting community. And so it's like that because it's like a state where you go to retire, like that population just stays constant right. or grows yeah. as well. And so you've got these like sort of equal and opposite forces That's it. That, that just like, <laughs> I like I'm, just I'm, giving, I'm giving you wiggly occupied okay. fingers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Because they don't, I mean, you know, to be crass about it, they don't die out because some exactly. of them do, but then they get replenished. More, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, when, and when they're sending their retirees, they're not sending their best, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so it's really tough to take a look at the future of Florida, right? Like when you looked at Andrew Gillum, I think a lot of people saw the future of Florida. It didn't work out so well. So, like when we talk about the future of Florida, what are we talking about? What's going to change in Florida? Uh, one one big thing did change yeah. this year, which is Proposition Four, yeah. the the felon uh, reenfranchisement. This could be huge because when you have such equal and opposite forces and they're and they're like you know fighting a, a trench like a World War II trench battle that never moves in one foot in either direction. This is like the invention of a tank that comes in because you're talking about 1.4 million people who are disenfranchised in Florida who can now vote, and uh, you know most or a large portion of those are African American. Yeah. So presumably a large portion of them will vote Democratic. And you talk about the constant replenishing of votes. Uh, what the, two things I know Florida has, and I lived in Florida. Uh, old people and and people who've been to jail. Right? Like I was born in Florida, I didn't spend a lot of time there, but I lived there uh, again later on in life. Like that's Florida. So well, I think I was going to say I, I think that what's so interesting. So I had this. I was down in Florida. And I had this sort of extraordinary conversation with someone um, who I can't name, uh, but who was a Democrat and was totally dejected at basically watching the election slip away. Um, and this person was saying. You know, I came in here before Election Day and I watched the canvassing board go through the provisional ballots and I watched them, you know, read out a Hispanic name or, a, you know, a name of someone that, you know, is likely a person of color and just toss the ballot and toss the ballot. And it's because, you know, they didn't register on time. They went to the wrong precinct. They didn't sign it well. I mean, just like, doot, doot, doot. And it was just like, our people don't know how to vote. So imagine hmm. 1.4 million new voters, if yeah. they even all get registered. And they are not going to know how to vote because they haven't voted in decades, yeah, <laughs> most yeah, likely, yeah. a lot of them, right? And so it's like the Democrats, it's not just that they need to, um, you know, get all these people to the polls, but they need to get them there on time. They need to s explain how to fill out a ballot. They need to explain which precinct to go to. Like, there's a lot of work to do, and it's even harder when it's people who just have been locked out of the process for years and years and years. Okay, so uh, you had a very interesting tweet. Uh, that I saw, you, know, you had a lot of interesting tweets, both of you, but you had one that showed uh, one of the ballots in dispute where someone had started to circle in a vote for Rick Scott and then changed it and went back to Bill Nelson, and the Republicans had an issue with that. So uh, how, how are they voting in Florida, and how can they not get it right? I mean, I think that that's sort of one of those issues where someone is just kind of moving quickly and they just start to go with the first one and then they go, oh, whoops, that's the wrong guy. <laughs> and then they move along. It would have been better if that person had written, like crossed it out with an X or written no sure. or like, yes, Nelson or something. Um, but, you know, those are also the votes that unless you have a hand recount, 
the machine doesn't pick him up, right? The, the right. machine picks up an, an quote overvote. Right. Uh, you know, it looks like you filled in for two people. Right. And you know, the election did not come down to come down to that ballot. Understood. Uh, but had it, we would be in court fighting over that ballot. <laughs> it's amazing. It, the, the crazy thing is, this is an improvement. For Florida, those, those, <laughs> those, those bubble things—that's that's new. They it's now statewide. You have to have optical scan machines because yeah. after the 2000, they famously had the hanging, hanging chads and the butterfly ballots and all these uh, different things. So they they have implemented a bunch of standards that had that like got them to like the mid 20th century maybe, but not quite into the 21st century. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think we both found is that um, it's very decentralized, their election administration. It's county by county. It's totally up to these county supervisors. They're elected positions. And, you know, people get elected not necessarily on the strength of their election administration because what voter really thinks about how well somebody is going to sort contract with a, an election voting machine company that's not really the top of mind for most voters sure so you end up with some people in office who are not particularly good at their jobs it's almost like instead of voting for the election supervisor during the election you should just vote for them afterward like depending yeah. on how it just went <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> because like four years later you're like how did it go last time i can't really remember well you you hit on something uh when, when we first heard uh, this conversation about how it was run uh, and how the election would run. A uh, little bit of breaking news this morning. Brenda Snipes, who ran the Broward uh, election, she's the Broward election supervisor, she submitted her resignation. Now, she had been sort of villainized by Republicans. She is an elderly black woman, which I think probably helped them villainize her. Uh, but at the same time, she also did not do a very good job. Yeah, I I don't think that she did a great job. Um, she made some clear mistakes that you know may have cost Bill Nelson the race. Yeah, <laughs> aside from that, uh, no, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, like, let's be very clear. <laughs> yeah, like I hate that somebody had to lose their job, but somebody should have lost their job for this. Yeah. I'm sorry that it was her, but somebody should have lost their job for this because, it, like you said. Bill Nelson would probably have won had it not been for her incompetence. And we're talking specifically about the ballot design here in Broward County where it was hard to see where the Senate vote was, so a lot of people just didn't vote for Senate. Yeah, I I have some small caveats with this. I think that, like, the ballot design was horrible. It was against uh, the, you know, federal guidance of how to design a ballot. Um, At the same time, the campaigns could have objected. Bill Nelson's campaign should have objected. The Democratic Party should have been like, we need to make sure the ballot in Broward County, like one of our key counties, is easy for people to fill out. And they all got a chance. This was a published ballot, and no one raised an objection. So this is, you know, up and down the line, people are not doing their jobs. Um, The other thing I will say is that, you know, I was there for a week, and Brenda Snipes and her staff made some key mistakes and some embarrassing mistakes at the same time. Um, you know, she had the foresight to go ahead and buy machines that tabulated things very quickly when she finally got to that stage. Sure. Um, uh, um, you know, her, Next door. she, you know, on, a, on, in the, in the few days leading up to election day, she received like 40,000 mail-in ballots. Like that's just, a, and you have to compare Holy a signature cow. on every single one of them. So yeah. at some point they're going, how dare you still count ballots? This is fraud. And it's like, look, I just got 40,000 ballots in the mail. Um, so I, th- I think that like. I think that her office needs to do a lot better, and I think that her resigning is the right thing, and there are a lot of mistakes. Um, but I think the system is not very conducive, and I think there are mistakes all up and down the chain. And again, Florida Democrats just have to do better Yep. You know, all the way up to the leadership. You can't just put it off on one supervisor. Agreed. 100% agreed. Uh, so 
how do they? I mean, how are they going to fix the problem in Florida with the vote with the voting situation? I think the Democrats need to step up and figure out a lot of ways to to fix this. Well, a, a lot of people will tell you, a lot of Democrats will tell you that they don't want to fix the problem <laughs> because uh, great, the state, awesome, you know, the the these decisions are made by the state legislature and the secretary of state, who is an appointee of the governor. And in both cases, those have been Republicans for 20-some years now. Sure. And, uh, like, they have this very tight deadline. All of this happened while California is still counting ballots. And nobody's up in arms that about California because the, California has set a, a laxer standard that says it's okay to continue counting ballots. Even for these counties to you – know, two counties missed the deadline uh, for this machine recount. For them to even succeed in doing it, they had to work 24 hours a day, which is just crazy. And so a lot of people will say that the Republican legislature has set these deadlines that work fine for small rural counties that have to count, you know, 10,000 ballots, uh, but don't work for these large urban counties that are heavily Democratic and that it's intentionally skewed uh, to make these large Democratic counties look incompetent, to make them miss their recount deadlines and to, you know, essentially like disenfranchise uh, people in these big urban counties who tend to be people of color and and Democrats. Well, we will see what happens with Florida. I want to ask, I want to move on to something else. Uh, uh, Ray, I want to play the clip of Adam Schiff. Uh, Adam Schiff over the weekend talking about uh, the acting attorney general Whitaker, Mm. uh, who uh, has not been confirmed, has not been vetted or anything like that. Adam Schiff spoke about it yesterday. I think the appointment is unconstitutional. He's clearly a principal officer, and the fact that he is a temporary principal officer doesn't mean that that is any less subject to Senate confirmation. So I want to read a tweet from the president. Uh, I need to be careful because I'm not sure if I could say this or not, uh, because he called him Little Adam. Adam Schiff's last name is spelled S-C-H-I-F-F. Donald Trump spelled it S H. Or S C H I T T. So little Adam S C H I T T, which I think you can see what he's doing. Uh, so it's so funny to see little Adam talking about the fact that Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker was not approved by the Senate, but not mentioning the fact that Bob Mueller, who was highly conflicted, was not approved by the Senate. Um, there's a real problem with Whitaker. Like we we are, I think genuinely for the first time witnessing what could be a constitutional crisis uh first of all is Whitaker going to survive this oh man that's a good question i mean i think that it is certainly true that but, and i don't mean to write but let me just say it's yeah. clear that he's unqualified it's clear he has some questionable a questionable background it's clear that he has not been uh, uh approved by the senate right all that being said, he is still the acting attorney general. Yeah, he is. Uh, that's already being challenged in court. So at some point pretty soon, we're going to start see judges having to weigh in on this issue. Uh, it hasn't been like directly challenged. It's sort of been put forward in other sort of folded into other ongoing cases. And so I don't know if the judges in those cases really want to then step out on a limb and make this big call. So I don't know if that's the best way to test it. Uh, but <clears throat> that question is coming up in court. And, you know, I I think I'm not a lawyer and I don't know the exact answer about this. But if you take what has happened to its logical conclusion, that seems clearly unconstitutional, because then you could just say Donald Trump can appoint whoever he wants 
And as soon as that term expires in like 270 days or 180 days or whatever it is, I'll just appoint someone else. And then I can get around the Senate because every time yeah. I can just appoint a constitutional officer. So there has to be a, a limit here. Uh, you know, otherwise you really have completely skirted uh, the Senate. But, you know, Whitaker, <laughs> I think Trump was like, oh, I like this guy. Like whenever we talk about the Mueller investigation, he gives me this like wink and I know it means <laughs> that he's going to protect me. Yeah. And I, I saw what he said on CNN in 2017 and he's totally on my side. Well, it turns out everyone else saw that on CNN, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and is like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you need to recuse. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's sort of backfiring. I think the sort of like sneaky thing that they did there is is not, you know, it, it wasn't as sneaky as they thought. Uh, boy, I bet Chuck Schumer, we were talking about earlier, I bet he really wishes the Dems had won the Senate because uh, then you'd have a lot more say over this. And the fact that Mitch McConnell, uh, was it last week, said he would not bring up a bill to defend the Mueller investigation, which people have been trying to do, but it's a bipartisan bill for a long time. And he said, oh, no, with no need for that, even after this Whitaker thing, doesn't put a lot of confidence no. in Mitch McConnell to hold the Whitaker accountable on this. My favorite clip from last week was uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, and he goes, well, first of all, if he does start to fire uh, uh, Mueller, we're going to hear about it through leaks. <laughs> so there's really, that, we really no need for this because we're going to hear about it well before it ever happens. I just love this argument that, like, we like, don't— that's, we, the, that's, our, that's, that's our backstop. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, the whole thing is predicated on the idea that we don't we don't need it, so therefore let's not do it because, you know, Congress is so busy with all this other important so stuff. So much winning. How so much winning? How could they possibly take like a day to to pass it's this? A, a lot of judges bill? to confirm. A lot, of, yeah, a lot of post offices <laughs> to rename. You know, yeah, yeah. So I would, I, I think we have enough evidence to go back to your question of will he survive. If it's going to come down to the Republican Senate to make him not survive, I think we have plenty of evidence to suggest they are not going to uh, pull the trigger on that. Yeah, look, I, I hope that the lesson has been learned by Democrats that, like, holding out hope that the Republicans will finally see the the, the, the righteous path here and see the light and say, like, oh, gosh, we, we have this guy that's an acting attorney general that's, that's a very serious conflict of interest. I mean, the one tool, That's not happen. The one yeah. tool that Democrats have now is that in January, January 3rd, I think, they, they have control of the House. Yes. Right? So, like, whereas now they can't hold a hearing and be like, let's look at the ethical conflicts here. Let's look at the constitutional issues here. Have you recused yourself? Have you gone through an ethics process? All of these things that we need to know. Yeah. Um, they can do that starting on January 3rd. And I think that that is a check to a degree yeah. on the administration and on the Senate. Um, and, and it's an important one. You know, it's not it's indirect, uh, but I think that that will play a role. So we've got about two minutes left. I'll ask both of you this. When you talk about that, uh, uh, is there a risk of Democrats overplaying their hand now that they have some power in the House? I think there definitely is. Uh, but I don't know if it's on the Trump front, because I think everyone kind of expects them to hold hearings and yeah. subpoenas. I, I think if they move to impeachment, that's a that's a different matter, because there's you impeach and then you need two thirds in the Senate to remove. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. So it's just a an empty threat. Uh, I think more likely if you get into like some policy issues where these, these suburban white educated people who are happy to put a check on Trump, but maybe not so hot on like socialized medicine as they see it. Right. You know, I, I, I look at the impeachment thing similar to, to like the repeal of Obamacare that Republicans did. They repealed it in the House 
like 67 times. 60 something times, yeah. right? And like, there's no way that they could run from it when it finally came time to pay the piper, right? Like, this election was won by Democrats on health care yeah. and Obamacare. And so, yeah, I, I, I think your efforts would be better suited trying to unseat Donald Trump in 2020 as opposed to trying to get him out fruitlessly through impeachment. It's also. Just, just beat him, beat him on, yeah. you know, yeah. on, in a fair fight, and uh, not that impeachment isn't fair, but it's a, a, half the country will not view it as a legitimate outcome, and I, so if you just beat him, you'll be better off. Yeah, I had someone talk to me in a for in a different context, but I thought this made a lot of sense. Is like you have someone like Trump who just who brings the drama. It's like you can't get away with from it, right? You're yeah. constantly worrying about it. It's constantly something new on the news. It's exhausting, yeah. and people want an adult in the room. If you go with impeachment. Then you're bringing the drama, right? Then you're someone they have to worry about. Then you're escalating the situation. So, like, be the adult in the room. I think that's yeah. great. I think that's great advice. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Just back from Florida, uh, Pema Levy from Other Jones. You can follow her on Twitter at Pema Levy, at political reporter for NBC News. Alex Seitzwald, you can follow him on Twitter at A Seitzwald. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Uh, we're going to say farewell, but I will be back tomorrow. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you then. This is The Bill Press Show.